Hello and welcome to the 55.1 podcast. My name is Wes Burdine and it's a special uh, episode. I've got, uh, I've got Dr. Bill McGuire, who is the um, managing owner of Minnesota United. He came to uh, my dining room, sat right next to my kids' uh, play kitchen and, uh, um, and did not make any comments on the uh, piles of uh, toys lying around. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative to Dr. Bill for coming in. Uh, and talking to me, I think pretty, pretty candidly uh, for for as much as uh, as you know, uh, club president or club owners uh, do. Um, it, it's definitely a delight to kind of talk about all the things around the club. Um, I want to just say a couple of quick notes. Uh, February sixth, there is a party. It's the Deathloon Solstice. It's the off season party for uh, that that we're putting on at the Black Heart of Saint Paul. Um, it is going to be seven o'clock. We've got a, a special podcast that we'll be doing with former Minnesota United head coach Carl Craig, uh, Bruce McGuire, and Jeff Reuter, and we are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the last decade, the best uh, eleven from the last dec- decade for Minnesota United. Tell some uh, crazy NASL stories about uh, players being traded for um, hotel vouchers and such, and uh, yeah, and just generally kind of get together because it's uh, you know off season. You haven't seen people in long time uh obviously then there's going to be uh preseason games coming up from minnesota united um the week of february 16th we will have those games at the bar and saturdays and sundays as well as midweek i just uh came from uh uh a uh tuesday afternoon opening up at 134 uh crystal palace uh fans and uh, and then a newcastle fan came in um Check out our schedule on Twitter uh, when we open up. Usually it's 8.30 for Bundesliga on Saturdays and uh, 8 o'clock um, for EPL um, but uh, on Sundays. So, but please uh, check it all out because we've got all the best games and we can literally put on, if you have some random team, uh, we can probably get uh, a, a game on one of the TVs. So please come check that out. Uh, enough rambling though. Please enjoy this interview with Dr. Bill McGuire. I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Dr. Bill McGuire, the the principal owner of uh, Minnesota United. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast again. It's been a while since we've kind of spoken officially with microphones. Um, yeah. So how, how are you doing? It's the long off season. Okay. Is off season yeah, you know, good I, for you I or think, bad? Um, I think it's bad for everybody, frankly. <laughs> you know, I mean, we we got into the playoffs. We exited the playoffs earlier than I think any of us or anybody in the world thinks we should have on that last game, but um, that's that's what it is. But the period between the MLS season ending and the start of the new season just seems too long to yeah. me. You know, and I think I've got to be for the players and conditioning, and you know, you just sort of go off three months and eat bonbons and yeah, I mean. Hang out just, on the it beach. seems too long. So it's certainly too long here. I haven't asked any of the players. But, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, too long for, for us, you know, yeah. pan, fans go into panic mode. Uh, but even on the podcast, it's, you know, we got together 
last week for the first time in a month to record a, a, a regular podcast. <laughs> we, we didn't have anything to talk about. Not no, too much. You, know, you can always so. invent things. I, yeah. Yeah. We, everybody, we, we're all good at inventing. Well, things, we have, so. we have our, uh, we have our, uh, four or five, uh, players that we were, we've been watching, uh, um, and, uh, some of Ed, Edson Flores being one of them went to went to DC and a few of them uh, and, and none of our watches have, have panned out but we still have Nicholas Benedetti hopes so <laughs> um, let me let me start by asking, probably won't pan out yeah <laughs> damn <laughs> um, so uh, I want to talk about 2019 because uh, you know obviously probably the biggest year uh, since you bought the team um, you know in, in Minnesota uh, soccer uh, brand new stadium. Uh, first uh, time in the playoffs since, you know, in the United era. Um, no, we made the playoffs, sorry, in 20, uh, one of those years. But in the MLS era, um, I want to want to get just get your general thoughts on the on the year. How, what do you look back at most fondly? What, what are your best memories and how do, how do you think it went? It was a good year. Um, you know, in some ways it was the first, it feels like the first real year of the MLS team. Yeah, because there was a um, soft launch. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what anybody else wants to call it. I mean, you know, there was a, a, a financially supported spending money to play the game sure. yeah. before that. Um, and we have to be cognizant and nobody shows up not to, to compete and win. Right. So um, call it what you want. But really being in your own facility, your own um, house with your fans is part of the match the way proper soccer is played, I think, around the world. Um, actually, with a team more appropriately constructed, um, I think it was the first real year. And it was even me who can find myriads of problems in everything. Um, it was a good year. I yeah. mean, I think the, uh, you know, what's important, what's historical. Um, we played respectively on the field. We were always competitive. Uh, we got into the playoffs where games we could have won and and wish we had. Um, we got there, we got to the finals of the U.S. Open Cup. Um, great fans, great fan experience. I mean, if anything, you know, balancing between some great uh, moments on the field and the fan experience, which you really remember that you, you can't have much better than that. Do you view it for you personally is, is the open cup final, uh, getting to the, getting to the final, um, a bigger accomplishment than getting to the playoffs or how, how did you kind of weigh those in your mind? Would you have been happy with a, a, a one, one extra playoff game? You know, we win that first game <laughs> if we would have, you know, tanked out in the open cup in the second round or something. That's a hard one because yeah. I, I don't think you think about it at the time. I, I've never been a gung-ho fan of the Open Cup Yeah. Um, as long as I've been around just because I think it has, there's, there's too many things, that, the travel part of it, uh, you know, the fitting it in with all the other games you've got to play. And it's a little bit like watching, you know, the Europa League or... Yeah. Uh, some of the stuff that goes on in Europe and you see tactically how teams have to do it and we have to do it with uh, a much smaller nucleus of players that can do it. So that said, you know, there's 
no way that I or anyone can dismiss the accomplishment of getting to the finals. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big deal. Would it have been better to have one more uh, playoff win? I don't know if it had been better. I would have liked it. Yeah. I think we should have. Um, I think we could have, but hard call, hard call. For years, you spent so much of your time getting that stadium together. That was kind of your main project, um, it felt like. Um, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about the opening and how that, how you kind of experienced that. What was opening day like for you? Or, or maybe it wasn't opening day that, that kind of stands out. But in terms of getting to show off that stadium either to, you know, just to the fans, but also to, you know, you got, you had a lot of owners come or other teams come visit to check it out. And what was that experience like? Well, I, I think for the group, let me start there, the group of 16 owners and families and stuff, the people that have done what it you know, takes financially to start with, to get the stadium up and there. Um, it was a big deal, you yeah. know, because it's the culmination. You're actually seeing it physically and people are using it. Um, I tend to be less of a high and low person, although I'm probably pretty good at the lows and the highs I suppress a little bit. <laughs> so it wasn't just that opening day of seeing it reality because we saw it a reality. There was so much that went in before that. The week before or whenever when we had the open house and seeing people come in and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of different, different points to that. Um, I think it was a relief to see it up and running um, on time. You know, we're actually going to get that first game, as you know, across the league. That's not a a common occurrence. Yeah, exactly. We actually were ready, and what we presented was what we said we were going to present. And I think that's the strong point. And to see that it really worked for the people, Um, you know, to hear the acoustics, to hear the, the sound and how that impacted the game. And I guess the thing that maybe you realize later, in particular, some of the other teams coming in, including teams, you know, from Europe and stuff, talking about this stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, these are teams that play around the world and they play in Europe in the great stadiums and they come in and they talk about how great this is. Or fans from Aston mm-hmm. Villa talking about what a great experience. And I know yeah. you all run in with some of those. And yeah. uh, so it's not just that one time, but it's the reinforcement and the fact that it was, you know, despite ups and downs on occasion and sometimes how things worked, it was pretty consistent through the year. Yeah. After a whole year of seeing it in operation and seeing it all work, um, is there anything anything you, you look back and go, oh, I wish we had done this instead or, or was anything you would have changed about it? Within what we had to work with, the time that we had to work with it, the money we had to use, um, probably not anything major, Wes. I yeah. think, um, you know, you could say, well, and people always do, well, could you make the corridor or the concourse yeah. 10 feet wider? Why don't you make it 10 feet wider? Well, you make it 10 feet wider and you keep the rest of the building and all of a sudden you've spent $30 million because it's not just... 10 feet more concrete wide, but it's a bigger footprint, which we actually didn't necessarily have. And it's a a totally different construct on the roof and that, and and so you have that. Could we, would we like to have 4,000 more seats? Um, 
Yeah, I think so. But again, I think we need to show what we've got here a couple of years and then address that. You've, you, I know you've now kind of moved on in one part of your role. One thing that you do is, is thinking about the development of the super block of the, mm-hmm. the area immediately surrounding the stadium. Um, you kind of, you indicated recently to one of the district councils that it's kind of not, I'm not, I'm not sure how to describe it, but maybe it's going slower than anticipated, not as, as you anticipated. So I'm, I guess I'm curious where, where's that process at and how, it, how is it going and what do you think it'll look like? Um, I, I think it will be spectacular. Yeah. Um, what I, I suspect, you know, I, I, you know, I always say I was there at the district council meeting and they, they talked about it and, and I answered some questions and uh, heard some, some views. It's, it has to be sequenced with the stadium. We had to get the stadium done first. And, and associated with the stadium, there have been a number of things that have to get worked out. And then you have to go and design the buildings. And there's a master plan. And I would say that the master plan was a good indicator of what it could be. But there are things in the master plan that I don't think that the developers necessarily want to do it exactly the same way. So there might be the 250-story building in the master plan, I think. I don't think we want a 250-story building. So how do we configure still to get enough mass and density, not just to create an urban development with lots of human density, Mm -hmm. but also to get something that financially will work for the people that have to put the money in to invest in it. Um, The biggest thing about it, the single biggest thing, has been figuring out and going back and forth with very smart people, in this case, for instance, Populous, who's doing this stuff around the world, Mm about how to make it more like an urban village, as we talked about in the very beginning. A community or a space within a community that works that way. Mm -hmm. That's very different than just going and saying, I've got 12 plots of land and I will sell them off and let somebody build whatever they want on each one of them. And that's what happens too often. And so this is a very unique and very complicated situation in that regard because you have to you want things to work together you want the city wanted to create a grid grid was created as part of the master plan that's those streets over there that grid then changes the dynamics of where you might put buildings and how big those footprints are and what the relationship is and how do you create something where people are inside want to come there want to be there want to live there want to work there can work there um, take advantage of this transportation-oriented area that we have already. Um, how do we bring things in that people want, not just another something? You know, it's, it's way too simplistic and, frankly, would be wrong to say, well, we're just going to go build a bunch of apartments there, and we don't care what they look like. We don't care what they say. Um, so right now, a lot of the plan has been looking at Re, just sort of reorganizing in our own mind relationships and what might go where and how, coming up with what could be first. Also have to consider, you know, things like the parking and, and where does that work you know, within buildings and what are the costs on that. Um, find some people 
who believe in this location mm-hmm. to put their money in now because this isn't the team. That's a different deal. Right. And that's, that's really what's been, been going on. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of time, energy, and a lot of money spent by the parties for the development, separate from the stadium, on what that could be. But also to build off of the stadium, because none of this would be happening that way without that stadium there. Right. So that's the first thing, and that's what I said in the beginning. Um, I take on anybody that would want to say, having what we have, removing vast sheets of asphalt with nothing there. I mean, yeah. no, no streets, no sidewalks, no nothing. Now we actually have an infrastructure. You have a grid. And the opportunity is to fit things in there that work and balance those things. Is there any um, uh, discussion that Kraus Anderson owns that whole block next to it, which is the block immediately uh, north of my bar? So I think about it a lot. You know, it has an empty Walmart, it has an empty Herbiger's. Do you, do you talk, in part of this, how big of a grand scope happens in your neck of the woods in terms of, well, what's going to happen over there versus what's going to happen here? Is it is it a little bit like competitive? Like, well, we want to get the hotel on our property or or, or something. How does that work? Um, we're sort of designing, and I'm helping design um, work around what we think works within the superpark. Yeah, bounded by Pascal and Snelling and University and St. Anthony. You got to be attentive to what's next door, but we can't control what's sure. next door. And even like the Walmart, well, what's going to go in there? Is that going to be a Home Depot? Mm-hmm. Or is somebody going to come and say, we want to tear it down and design something new and, and different? And we have to do the best we can to, to anticipate, but you know we can't necessarily wait around. now. What does happen, though, is you say that may be the east side, as we've said all along, wouldn't be the first place to build anyway because mm-hmm. we still have a shopping center there and, right. and let those people and that businesses continue and let's focus on the east side. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to go into Walmart or whether it'll come down. Um, Cross Anderson will have to decide that. You know, we hear things, as everybody does. Uh, Herbergers has actually been bought um, and... There's some discussion I know about of something to put or some things to put in there that mm-hmm. could be, I think, quite good for the neighborhood. And because that has some existing parking and stuff, mm-hmm. um, might be a good place for things that require a lot of parking. Yeah. So. I ask these questions. It's, it's funny. I know it's like uh, it seems peripheral to soccer, but it's like when uh, the, the types of questions that a lot of soccer fans ask me are on these. Like there are a lot of soccer fans really curious about it, whether they live in the neighborhood or do they just kind of want to, want to know what's happening around it. So uh, the, in terms of the, the super block, what, what basic timeline do you, does that look like? Is it, um, we're hoping five years from now that this is all, all developed that maybe it, next year there we'll would, there'll be no chance of getting, you know, the 25 acres theoretically available which after the roads and stuff is probably about half that many acres mm-hmm. uh, built out in five years. Yeah. That would be um, what we have on paper is potentially, you know, without inflation, $850 million of construction. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. 
in, in an ideal world with all of the parties coming together that are required, which includes you know, the city as well as investors, you know, um, to get something done. I'd like to see shovels in the ground or plan shovels in the ground uh, by late this year yeah. for four, four buildings. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a good line of sight on those buildings and where they would be, um, basically trying to sort of frame the great lawn to make mm -hmm. that as a center point for the block. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a big public open space. It doesn't get used that much right now. It can be used a lot mm -hmm. um, as a place. You can go down to Chicago and see Gallagher Way or next to Wrigley Field and mm -hmm. see how they do that. And, you know, it's actually a sponsored space and public, you know, yoga classes, kids' classes, mm -hmm. movies, all the things we've talked about for years. But, you know, it takes something. You have to do certain things to organize it, to sure. operate it, and do that. But we're not, um, we're not far off from being able to do some things, but there are a bunch of technical things that have to come together to do it. And right now we're talking to some people that um, are not just people that want to invest in a building. Mm -hmm. They're people that want to invest in a community where the vehicle is the building and what it can provide. So, for instance, you build an office building, it may not be just a traditional 10-floor office building for companies of 20,000 square feet to 100,000 or 200. Right. It might be a smaller building where you you provide opportunities for businesses that are smaller businesses and more startup businesses. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about that. Um, internally, I've talked a lot about that with uh, Dai Tao in particular and mm -hmm. Mitra Nelson, Jalali. We, we've talked about those things, you mm -hmm. know. That's bringing something to the community. That's jobs, that's interest, that's attraction. That's things that might provide opportunities for businesses to come to other areas in the community because this is here mm -hmm. as we bolster the whole thing. That's sort of the purpose. Um, back to the team. The the technical staff, I think, uh, I'm not sure if there's much argument. Had it, I think it's best season uh, yet with acquisition of Opara, Alonzo, Gregush, Metnir, Manone, drafting Gasper and uh, uh, Dotson. Um, so I, I think it surprised a lot of people the the kind of at the end of the season there was kind of the shakeup the reorganization that um, moved uh, that Mark Watson went to kind of I believe technical director and, and kind of Manny moved over to um, uh, working out what the future for USL and the academy is um, can you kind of give me some insight into kind of what was what was happening there and how how will that kind of shape us going forward. And, and maybe, I mean, from the outside, I guess I should say, it, it looked like a kind of a demotion for maybe Manny and Amos. And I, I know that you don't view it that way. So I, I'd love to hear what, what you see in that yeah. and how it worked. Well, so you're taking a external owner's view. Sure. Who happens to have some history in business and mm -hmm. seeing how things operate and what things are. And I think... Um, it's always more complicated than just 
well, we got these players, isn't life good? Sure. Uh, in the end, what will make this team, this club, this organization, Minnesota United, very good and something that all of us will be proud of and sustain is having a great organization that can can create what we need to be competitive on and off the field. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that we were getting better at. I wouldn't say that our, you know, all our recruiting and everything is always perfect, but we, we did find some good things. That's always multiple people. It's never mm-hmm. just one person. Right. Um, but we also had other things that were equally important, mm-hmm. you know, and we are, are sort of, we weren't very far, let us say, in either the reserve team or our academy. And both of those are hugely complicated issues. And then you also have to run that organization mm-hmm. that is the sporting side. Mm-hmm. So I think dividing things up differently, moving responsibilities around should not be viewed as a demotion. It should be viewed as taking now the opportunity to have even more focus. Sure. And as you all well know, the whole thing on how reserve teams work in MLS and around the league is far from correct. Yeah. Um, in, in that, uh, it doesn't seem anyone has a really great no. solution. And it's, maybe only and, Dallas is it's working well. For and, North but, Texas, and then you got to look at the other side of, yeah. of Dallas. I mean, you know, what about the on the field? What about the people that show up in the stadium or don't yeah. show up? Right. I mean, yeah, they have it. And Dallas is in, is in Dallas, Texas. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. we have to say we're in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Blaine, whatever, in this metro. What are we going to do for a um, reserve team? What are we going to do for this academy thing instead of just saying, well, let's just plop down like everybody else is doing and act like we're going to you know, really be the zenith yeah. against New York, yeah. Los Angeles? Dallas, Miami, Atlanta. Um, this is a small market. So we need more attention and focus and energy and figuring out how to be really good at those things as well as just running our organization well. So we had good people. You know, Amos is continuing to do some of that, what he was doing. That's still his focus. Manny's going to focus on those and mm-hmm. needs to bring those home. We take Mark Watson, he's an experienced guy, been around a lot. Mm-hmm. He moves into that role. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, parlays direct in, into the next question, which is, you know, this week news broke that um, Fred Emming uh, is going to be, he's not been officially announced, I believe, but um, but that Fred Emming. I thought he was. Maybe he was. I yeah. can never tell what's official and what uh, yeah, well, that's someone true. tells me. So. Yeah, that's, that's especially true. <laughs> so, uh, um he, that he's going to be the first homegrown player from from the Minnesota United Academy. He's a, I believe, sixteen year old goalkeeper. Um, what does that mean for the club? And because you know we've talked before, even on this podcast, about the academy and the, you know, Minnesota is not Dallas. You know, we're going to always have to. Um, it's, you know, it's going to struggle to produce the the same amount of players and even quality at times. As a as some of these markets where they just they just have more players and they the quality of Southern California soccer is just that much better than than Minnesota. 
Um, so I guess the first question is, you know, what does it mean? And, and maybe uh, what, what, what do we start to think looking forward for the Academy? Is it, is it, are we a decade off of really seeing the Academy um, kind of produce uh, things that, that, you know, first, for example, it's going to be a while for Fred to ever make a first appearance because uh, he's young. Lots of questions there. Yeah. Um, well, I would say not for a minute do I believe that we do not have talent, talents, yeah. young men and women who can aspire to and achieve success as professionals in soccer, in the Twin Cities and the greater drawing region. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have to do is figure out how to help those people get better. So that means we have to figure out how to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, how to be part of their lives with the kind of staff that can supplement what they already have available. Mm-hmm. And that's not a 10-year project, but I think that is something that's going to take a few years to get really good at. And I'm just not sure, for instance, that it's the same way of saying, okay, we'll have our every age group team and we'll try to pluck out and anticipate these players and grow them uh, may not be the best way to do it. Um, and that's what we're asking. How do we, in fact, make the opportunity to train with our staff, not just academy staff, but the first team staff, reserve team staff, the first team support staff of nutritionists and all these mm-hmm. people, how do we create that opportunity, regardless of your age, mm-hmm. if you're really good? And maybe, for instance, some of it is occasionally. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of it is full-time. Um, that's what we're working on right yeah. now. And, uh, but we have, you know, we have some very talented kids in the area, and we're, we're excited about some of them. Um, the question really is if, if we can bring other resources to all the programs that are already out there, and as you know, that is vast. Yeah. Um, it's not trying to say, you know, we're the new smart guys and you guys all go away. It's sure. how do we supplement? How do we take advantage of what we have and build good players, both for the team as well as MLS, as well as the U.S. team? There's, there are a couple of clubs, maybe, you know, clubs our size or even smaller, you know, with, with Real Salt Lake. Um, Philadelphia maybe is a, a different example because just for whatever reason that region is, you know creates Kristen Pulisic type players. Um, do are there you know non Dallas teams out there that we can look to and say like well Real Salt Lake is has an academy thing that seems to be working and you know they're selling a couple players and you know it's not like it's not like. A, um, Utah is that much more of a hotbed of soccer than, than Minnesota or Wisconsin or, or this area. Well, well, yeah, again, a lot of things in that question. Um, among them, Utah has a pretty big drawing area that includes some. Yeah, in Arizona or New yeah, Mexico. Some, they, so so they there are some yeah. things and some, some, uh, some cultural history. Yeah. in those areas towards soccer that's maybe yeah. a little higher than it has been here. Um, Philadelphia is just you know, a big city in the yeah. big area. They've also been at it a long time. Yeah. I mean, again, we started a year ago, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, really, realistically, a year, two years. 
and we have all these other things to do. So Salt Lake's coming in and getting more into this of late. Philadelphia's been doing it a long time. They've been in the league a long time. We all have different economics. We have to spend what we have first and foremost in one area. So we're trying to build the right thing and do it. You know, we will turn out some, some good homegrown players. Will we turn out enough? For instance, if you're just a business person to mm -hmm. justify the amount of money that gets spent? I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a different question and probably is a stretch on a lot of these because, you know, what are we, what level are we looking for? I think, again, what we have to do is how do we find the really best kids and provide them something that will make them get there to the finish line, make them better. Yeah. Not just arrogantly say, well, we'll hang up the shingle and, and come here. Mm -hmm. Um, so after 2019, I think being the most successful year in, in United history, um, what's, a, what's ahead? How does the, the team build on that? Um, and, and what's, I guess, the path toward, you know, not just that second playoff game, but a reasonable path toward winning, winning a cup? <laughs> Everybody wants to win that cup. And, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I know that you, I know that you're a, a competitive guy, and you want to win that cup as well. I know. You know, I I think in the end, uh, so I'm gonna be careful. Let me start with reemphasizing. Absolutely, I want to be in every playoff game, and I want to be in a championship, and I want to win a championship. Okay. You can find a whole lot of other people mm -hmm. with a whole bunch more resources sure. that they're throwing at it in different situations with a uh, different scenarios that want to say the same thing. So getting there is always going to be a challenge. In the end, the first thing we have to do, first and foremost, is use this year and every year to, and last year, to improve, change if needed, but improve. So we get a couple of things that in the end are absolutely most important. One is having an organization, which means both the operational size and the sporting size that gives us the chance every year mm -hmm. to be competitive and to get where you've described. Gives us the opportunity, which means we have to produce, we have to have a sporting side that does that, with all these things that we just talked about and brings together the players that put them on the field to compete and compete every week mm -hmm. towards that end. We have to have an office that does all the things we need to do to run our business effectively, to be financially stable, to, to do all those things mm -hmm. to ensure that. That's number one. Number two, on top of the great team on the field, good operation, we have to create a great fan experience. Mm -hmm. And those elements then beget what you're talking about. And that's where we get into how do we get competitive. So on the field, um, we need to, you know, fill the holes, anticipate the issues, you know, be figure out how to get deeper at certain positions. So when we know we have a player who has to go off to Madagascar mm -hmm. for a national team or somebody else that we have a backup mm -hmm. when we have 
we have to play a couple extra games in these tight schedules. We have a backup. So we have to continue to build the roster. We have to continue to get a little younger with that roster. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to do it for that end. And I think that is a lot of this year's focus while we remain attentive to these other things. Yeah. It, will Minnesota ever see a marquee name DP or... Uh, you know, the names we've been like linked to, um, we, we joked about Nicholas Benedetti and there was real pursuit of him. But um, so there are th that type who are kind of Diego Valeri's, you know, that people maybe haven't heard of, but they, they can really surprise people. But then there is, you know, uh, Chicharito just got announced by Galaxy. Um, is Minnesota going to be always in that first camp? Uh, or are we going to see those big names here or? Um well, I can only speak for a point in time and what I sure. can do to see. I think it's very, it's very difficult for a team in a middle market with all the things we have to do and the economics around what we're doing it for us to go and plop down um, what might be $50 million for a player. Mm -hmm. I, I, so if, if that's the criteria, yeah. I think it's unlikely. Yeah. I mean, we would not have been able to entertain Chicharito. Right. And you got to remember, it's not just the salary, as you well know. You know, you've got transfer fees, you've got salary every year, you've got bonuses, you've got multi-year contracts. You could, I don't know what his contract's going to be, but, yeah. you know. Big. 40 to $50 <laughs> yeah. million dollars through its duration is certainly possible. And there are people that do that, just like in Europe. There are people that do that. Um, I think we have to establish who we are, mm -hmm. how we're going to play, players that play well with each other, and quality players, hopefully laced with some of these great talents that are, quote, undervalued for the moment, and be competitive that way. Yeah. And I think we can be competitive. And, you know, the biggest names don't always win, obviously. Now, when you get every position with the biggest name, you probably got a much better chance. And we've seen, you know, some of that where, where you get it. But, you know, if the criteria for the big name is, you know, it's a $10 million transfer fee or something on top of a big salary, that's going to be tough for yeah. us. Um, it's not giving me hope for Mario Balotelli. That's, that's all I... <laughs> <laughs> the real question whether you really want Mario Balotelli, but uh, I do. But <laughs> that's um, me. Um, let me let me ask you about this, and I I know there's probably very little you can say about it, but um, MLS CBA negotiations are going on right now between the owners and uh, and, and the un players union. Do you have any? I know, obviously, as an owner, you have some sort of... Do you have any particular role or interaction with that? And is there any anything you can say about it? That No, I, I really don't have any yeah. role. Um, knowing me, I probably have something to say about it. If yeah. I knew something, that I could. But um, no, I think the two parties are understand the issues on both sides, and they're going to... are trying to come together with things that are fiscally somewhat responsible for the teams are in the league, are okay for, are good for the players and allow that, and are good for the sport of soccer and the league. Yeah. Um, but I'm not on the committee. I'm not up to date with what's going on. I have no idea when they're meeting. 
Um, but, you know, I think I'm hopeful that they'll come to an agreement that will be reasonable on both sides. Yeah. Um, what is the, for, for the league, what's the biggest question mark you think for, for the, 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 the future do you, that, that you think the league needs to really figure out uh, going forward? Well, I, I, think, I think the competitive play, so if we look at the on-the-field product, mm-hmm. the competitive play is getting much better, obviously. And, and I think the rest, I know the rest of the world takes notice. You know, you can, you know, sore point, but Adrian Heath's over in England mm-hmm. and over Christmas and tells me all kinds of people come up to him and say, we we're watching you guys lose to Dallas. How'd you lose to Dallas? <laughs> you should have won that game. You know, well, okay. That's, that's <laughs> not what you The Wild should have won their game last night, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that, but... The point is there is a lot of attention because the quality of play has improved. The fact that there are players here going to Europe, coming out of the MLS, not just the youngsters, helps. Um, so we need to keep that going. Um, whether we, have, I think it has to be competitive across the board. Obviously, you like to have some superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to have the competition increasing all the way. Um, I think it has to continue to improve as a product for the fans. So, you know, in an ideal world, you have every stadium looking just like Allianz Field every game. Yeah. Which means you have to capture the hearts and the history with the players, but not just players, I mean, but with the fans mm-hmm. and build something long term. Have to improve the media. Um, relation, not relationships, but just the, the coverage. How do we get more coverage and, and that? Because that drives economics, which we see in other leagues. And uh, this is certainly a league that's deserving con- considering how things. Interestingly, with the addition of now Chicharito, which I hadn't read if it was final, but um, Polito, Torres, some of these, there's a lot of attention in Mexico mm-hmm. now. Yeah. On the MLS, because yeah. they want to follow their players, just like um, I thought people used to want to follow Zlatan in, in the yeah. U.S. I'm not sure the Swedes want to follow Zlatan anywhere anymore. But, um, <laughs> Definitely not in Melbourne. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's continued evolution. I think <clears throat> some new cities broaden play. I personally, I'd like to figure out how to have... A, even a few more games, mm-hmm. but maybe not over as long a time and, and fill in some of the blanks. But there's just those are just sort of operational issues. Yeah. But I think it's continued quality of play. It's continued engagement with fans everywhere. Um, and it's extending the, the awareness of the league and the opportunity to follow the league via the various media portals for yeah. people. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about... Uh, NWSL future. Um, I've asked you this before, but um, now that, you know, before when I would ask you, um, uh, there was a stadium to be built. There's so many, and there still are a lot of, as you were talking about, a lot of pieces for Minnesota United and this men's team and the MLS team getting, running to be a successful, uh, Mm -hmm. well-working machine. Um, But, uh, you know, NWSL um, hits uh, 
hits different fans, um, does different things, and also could provide, you know, you've got extra, you've got only 18 to 20 home games a year. Um, how does that look to you now? Has it is it still kind of a possible future, or what? What do you? Yeah, I think, I think it's absolutely a possible future. Um, it has. I have the same criteria around it. Um, it starts with the fact that doing it just because somebody says it feels good is not fair to the to that league to those players to those teams right, right we have to be able to do it in recognition that we can provide the kind of experience and situation that they deserve as mm-hmm. really high-end professional athletes within their own sphere mm-hmm. within that league and um, we're not there yet mm-hmm. us that's on us yeah. first um, I think the league, has some issues it has to grow into as well, just as MLS did years ago in terms of, you know, the available number of players and and getting making this a path for people. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, gee whiz, if we don't do it tomorrow, the opportunity's gone. But we have to do it in a way that that really does is done not just to fill a few seats in a stadium so we can have an extra game. Because remember, the stadium is not free to open. Right. And yeah, and so the, there the are real costs associating yeah. with all of this. Um, I just like everything. If you do it, we want to do it very, very well. And we want to, yeah. to make it popular. So, you know, we'll follow it. We do follow it. We think about it. We talk about it. We yeah. keep looking at it. We'll model it. Um, and we'll do all that simultaneously as we work on doing all the things we think we need to do for this club. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever had conversations with with NWSL or, or has anyone from the league given you a, the proper pitch or, or anything um, like that? Or? I've had conversations yeah. with NWSL from other teams um, yeah. who are engaged, mm-hmm. other teams that are or people who are thinking about it. And various parties who know a lot about it that are sort of peripheral. So you know, information gathering, and and uh, you know, we've we've had a, you know, there's always people around wanting to discuss it. Well, how about could we do this? And you know, including people that want to bring something in, and can we just play in the stadium? But but it's it's really not when those discussions are not to the quality that you want to see. Yeah. let, let me uh, finish up on, on this, which is just um, 2020. Um, what are your hopes for looking forward this year? Now that, you know, stadium opening is behind us. Um, we've got that playoff uh, berth that we hit. Um, what do you want to see this year uh, going, you know, in 2020? Um, well, so I could make a very short list or a longer <laughs> list uh, <laughs> You know, the short list you want to see, as I say, a great fan experience that has the, the stadium full every game and people and enjoying it, watching a team that is competitive that gets into the playoffs and maybe runs all the way to the end. But yeah. for sure, at least is competitive and keeps itself in position and gets into those playoffs and hopefully wins several games in the playoffs so our fans get to experience it. Yeah, That would be the big thing. Yeah. So underneath that, it is continued 
expansion of awareness of the sport, of the team, of all the good things. It is, you know, sort of a, a, I don't know, something that flows out of that, which is recognition of the value of this sport and why it's different and what it stands for and what it means and what it means to so many people and why that is important to our society. And um, there are a lot of manifestations of that ranging from, you know, the players on the field to the people and the fans to the flags that hang up to the kind of food you serve to the community that's around to the people that are watching and, and listening and engaged and that. Um, want to see a lot more of that even. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Geez, I can't tell you that. You know, I go down and park my car at the airport and uh, people come up and wearing their scarves or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and these are some of the cab drivers. I always tell people saying this person brought me in, all they want to do is talk about the soccer team, <laughs> yeah. somebody from the airport. Most That's of the good. cab drivers I run into tell me that they used to play for the team, and I'm like, um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I, know, the, I know who most they, of the they names the wrong last thing. Years. But the point is, they relate to it. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I think it is that that thing, and how reflective this is is to our world and and the good parts. Yeah. Of the world, so those are all things we need to. And obviously, I want to see the stadium surrounding area progress and move along and see that start as an impetus to to making yeah a lot more experiences out of it yeah selfishly i'm i'm looking forward to that as, as well just as a, as a neighbor and a, as a business well, sure. and, uh, um let me actually i do want to finish on this i know that you uh watch a lot of uh soccer around the world um what are you watching these days that that like is interesting, or who who are you watching? Or <laughs> well, sometimes I watch for a specific player. Mm-hmm. Like I watched a video, a, a recording last night of uh, I'll just say a Central American team that was playing a game because mm-hmm. I wanted to see a player. Yeah, that we've been talking to. Um, I, of course, watch most of the Premier League games. I watch a fair number of Bundesliga games, and then I watch um, Liga MX, mm-hmm. um, depending, you know, I thought, you know, it's always interesting, you know, when you watch America and, yeah. you know, um, I watch Pachuca because I watch Romario play. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just I'm sort of all over the map, but yeah. I'm watching a lot. But, you know, because of the available TV time, that's probably watched the Premier League the most. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've just ended up watching a lot more Bundesliga lately, and maybe it's just because I feel like I, I know every storyline of the Premier League at this point, so I'm bored. Or, but uh, but watching that play um, and, and watching teams like, you know, Augsburg had that crazy game against uh, um, Dortmund this weekend. That well, yeah, they I watched Hyde run score hat trick. <laughs> yeah, young yeah. kid, what nineteen, thir- yeah, nineteen years old. His debut yeah. comes in at thirty minutes, and they were up, uh, or they were Dortmund was down three one, and then yeah. came back and wins five three. Um, and getting to watch that, and I also tend to think, um, you know, there's a lot of players there I don't know, and, and even watching Bundesliga too because I watch St. Pauli a lot. Um, watching those and, and 
in looking at the the stylistic differences, because I, I feel like Premier League I've been watching for ages now and MLS I know really well, uh, and just watching the different styles of play with, you know, when you watch Liga MX versus Premier League, it's way different in, in Bundesliga as well. And I, I just didn't know if you you had like a, a, a personal preference or... or no, I, but I, I appreciate what you're talking about. I'm trying to learn it because I haven't watched it nearly been around soccer as long as you've. So I'm trying to learn, and but I, you do see the differences, and you think about those differences. You know, um, it's very, you know, real. I mean, do we should we have more players from northern climes because they're more used to a day like this? Yeah. Um, you know, when I grew up in Texas. I couldn't. I couldn't comprehend a, yeah. a day like this. And this is a nice day <laughs> yeah, out yeah. in the middle of the winter. So I mean, are is are people from Croatia, Czechoslovakia, Poland, are they better suited for reasons or the style of play? And there are some great things. And of course, when you watch Bundesliga, you're realizing that those guys, because they're there, and that's one of the top leagues in the world, they're all over. Mm-hmm. We're never going to find a player. In Poland or Czechoslovakia, those guys don't want, don't know about. Right, right. And they've probably passed on. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say there still are great players and will have great breakaway opportunities, but you have to watch it. And so the first thing I watched that game, saw that guy score, is that I was on the phone to Adrian and said, "Who is this guy? Did yeah. you know about him? I'd never heard about him." Yeah. He said, "Yeah, we all knew about him." Yeah. Said, yeah. He was played he, for Jesse Marsh at. Uh, yeah. At Light, so was uh, he always uh, that good? And he yeah. said, "Yeah." Yeah. And, uh, but you know, there's a bunch of those. Yeah. And they've been bought. And we've actually had on our list yeah. a bunch of those guys. Yeah. You know, and you see one, you think, oh, well, I can get this guy. And then he goes for six million yeah. uh, euro yeah. to somebody and he's 34 years old. Or if, if they're 20, yeah. you know, then you've got to, and that's where this whole dynamic gets interesting. We don't have the luxury right now, at least to make five and $10 million mistakes. Right, right. Um, and which isn't to say we shouldn't try to stretch the envelope and take some risk. You have mm-hmm. to. But, you know, some of them hit, some of them don't. And, you know, we have to just be careful. Yeah. Watching these other teams, among other things, not only do you get to see some of the great players, you get to see people maybe you looked at before. So now we can watch a guy that was on the list a year ago mm-hmm. and see how he's doing. Mm-hmm. We can watch Benedetti mm-hmm. and see how he does at Club America. Yeah, um, Is that what we thought? And it may have been a totally different path had we been able to mm-hmm. afford him sure. at the time. But um, that's why you, know, you watch yeah. Launch a lot of those things, and then of course, you know, right now everybody wants to watch Liverpool because, you know, look not at everybody the, look at the record, and <laughs> look at the quality yeah. of playing and how they do things. And yeah. you know, it's it's quite phenomenal, but that's not a real world, right? For us, yeah. I mean, somebody nor is even one that doesn't do so well. I yeah. mean, you know, look at Tottenham. Yeah, oh. they're not a real world either, yeah. and they're they're going the other way, right? Um, yeah. So. I don't know. What do we learn? Yeah. Uh, it's a big world. Uh, interesting thing. It's an international sport, and there are lots of teams all over the world yeah. looking at these players, looking for players, and we're not 
the only smart yeah. people around. Yeah. So we have to we have to stay attuned, as I say, come back to create a great organization that will serve all of us for years to come. Good product on the field, good operations, and a great fan experience. Yeah. We do that. It's going to continue to be great. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you so much for um, doing this interview. Uh, thanks. It was a great 2019. I'm, I'm looking forward to 2020, and, and uh, it's great to chat with you. Great. Thank you. Thanks, always. Thanks, all the fans, too.